Grace and peace to you from God our Father. We gather today in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and it's great to uh, see uh, such a full number this day. Welcome to you, to our familiar faces and uh, to those who are new, please stay around. We'd love to get to know you a little bit more. I wonder as we come towards the end of January uh, how those New Year's resolutions are going. Did you, did you have any? Or have you reached that cynical stage where you know it's not worth the bother? Or maybe your idealist, you had them, and I wonder how they're getting on. Um, have you been doing more exercise? Have you, um, have you been eating better? Have you spent more time with your children? And then decide you don't want to do that. Have you, have you found a new hobby? I wonder what have you done? There's a deep longing in each of us, I think, uh, a deep longing in our society that maybe we could start again start over somehow we keep making a mess of the year that's gone before we keep making a mess in our lives and we think oh if only I could have a new start if only I could wipe the slate clean and 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 this year this year is going to be different uh, I'm going to go at it completely differently this year and so there's an amazing rise in the number of uh, gym memberships and weight loss support group numbers rise at the start of the year. And so I wonder, how's the pursuit of the new you going? What I want to tell you this morning is that the God who made us has got an incredible change project that he wants to engage in in each one of our lives. And it's a plan that goes much deeper than changing how we look on the outside. So please open your Bibles to Colossians chapter 3, and you'll find that on page 1184. So uh, if you don't have a Bible with you, hopefully around you somewhere there'll be one of these red Bibles. And if you take that and turn to page 1184, we've been working through this book of Colossians, and um, it's full of practical truth of how God is about this change process for our lives. Let me just remind you what we've already looked at. If you look back at chapter 3 and verse 9 and 10. Do not lie to each other since, here's the reason, you have taken off your old self with its practices and have put on the new self which is being renewed in knowledge in the image of its creator. Have a look at those verses. Isn't that an extraordinary change project? This is what God wants to do in our lives. God's plan is to take hopeless cases and make them glorious people. Isn't that extraordinary? He wants to take hopeless cases and he wants to turn them into glorious people. He wants to take people who are spiritually deformed by sin and renew them so that they look like God himself. Each of us were created with this glorious goal that actually as we walk about our lives, we are, t as people look at us, they should be able to say, wow, that, you remind me of God. The way you act, the way you live, that, that reflects the character of who 
God is. This is the incredible change project that God is involved with in this world. And he's doing this amazing renewal through his son, Jesus Christ. Through the work he achieved in his death upon the cross. That's why Jesus came. He could take hopeless cases and make them glorious. He could take sin-deformed people and turn them into the image of himself. The image of his son. It is an extraordinary change project. And it means that actually each one of us can have hope. He, uh, he does it by uniting our lives with his son. As we put our trust in Jesus, he, he unites our life with Christ so that our old life um, as enemies and rebel sinners dies in the death of Jesus. And... Um, That old life and its practices are like a a set of dirty clothes that no longer fit people who've been washed clean and in whom God is changing them from the inside out. And those old clothes need to just go into the dustbin. They're not even good for the charity shop. Just, Just burn them. Put them off. And then, having put off those old clothes, uh, we need to put on clothes that fit the new self that's being renewed in this knowledge uh, so that we become more like our creator, God. And here's the wonderful thing about the Christian life, is that someone has put their life in in Christ, then their old life of before Christ doesn't any longer have to define them. As they tell their life story, everything before the death of Christ does not have to define their life. Because now Christ is their life. And there's real hope for positive change. Uh, I, I, I uniting with Christ, not merely that the old life dies, but that, that Christ's resurrection life comes into our life. And we're united with Christ. We're raised with Christ. Christ is the new empowering reality of change. And uh, we considered last week the first part of that, that putting off, the, the getting rid of the old clothes. And Simon Manchester taught us very helpfully on that passage. If you missed it, just listen online. It'll only take 23 minutes. He was incredibly brisk. And uh, I wish I could be as short as that. I'm sorry. Honestly, I'm so amazed you come back every week. Like you heard me a few weeks ago and you still came back. That's incredible. You're very generous. But here's the wonderful thing we're going to consider, that having put off the old life, we're going to put on the new clothes that fit the new man, the new person, the new you. And as I read these verses from 12 down to 17, I want you to notice that there's two parts to this. The first in 12 to 14 addresses each one of us individually, the new you, And the second half, verses 15 to 17, addresses all of us corporately, the new society. So that's what we're going to look at today, the new you and the new society. So let's read these verses from verse 12. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive whatever grievances you may have against one another. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. 
And over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you were called to peace, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom, and as you sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs with gratitude in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. This is God's word. So let's think about this new you. Look at verse 12. It begins by understanding that we do have a new identity. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved. Identity is a big issue in our society today. And it's fundamental that as Christians, we understand our new identity. And it's not about whether you are gay, transgender, straight, or whatever, but that you have become part of God's chosen people. Here's your fundamental new identity. God is the creator of all people. And yet out of all the people on the planet, we whose lives have been joined with Jesus Christ are his chosen ones, his treasured ones, his his beloved and holy people. Just think about that. It's an extraordinary statement, isn't it? Out of all the peoples on the earth, because our lives are linked with Christ, we are his chosen ones. In the Old Covenant, uh, that was the unique place of the sons and daughters of Abraham, the people of Israel. So Psalm 33, verse 12 said this, Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord, the people he chose for his inheritance. In Deuteronomy chapter 7, it says this, The Lord did not set his affection on you, and he's speaking to Israel, and choose you because you were more numerous than other peoples, for you were the fewest of all peoples, but it was because the Lord loved you. And kept the oath he swore to your forefathers that he brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you from the land of slavery. But now in the new covenant, this blessing comes not because of belonging to a particular ethnicity or parentage, but through faith in Jesus Christ. Christians are God's chosen, loved people. And because God is the God who is holy, We too, having been called to him, are set apart to be holy people. It's not something that we have to achieve. It's actually a status that's given to us. It is our new identity in Christ. We are God's holy and beloved people. And that is an extraordinary thing. If I was to uh, chat with you afterwards and I'd say, Oh, tell me a bit about yourself. What would be the first thing you'd say about yourself? I don't know, your name maybe, what you're doing, you know, you're studying a course at university, or you're not working, or you're retired, or you're, you know, you tell you, but, but this actually should be at the forefront of our minds. Who are you? Well, I actually, uh, my name is Paul, I belong to uh, God's chosen people, uh, I'm dearly loved by God. Well, hi Paul, nice to meet you, and uh, it would sound a bit odd, wouldn't it? But actually, that is the reality that we should be living with, that this is who we are, this is who we belong to. 
And this new identity then leads to uh, new characteristics. There's a new dress code that befits people with this identity. Jose Mourinho, a former Chelsea coach, uh, maybe the next Manchester United coach, who knows? Um, he once famously, famously said this, Please don't call me arrogant, but I'm a European champion and I think I'm a special one. I'm a special one. They got, he got known as the special one. Well, he thinks he's the special one. Well, Christian people, you are dearly loved. You are special ones. Chosen by God. Deeply loved. Called to be holy. But I want you to notice that actually when you grasp this, you're going to have a slightly different character to the one that Jose showed in that quote. Look at uh, what it says. As God's chosen people, verse 12... Holy and dearly loved, this is how you should clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Does that remind you of anybody? Does that remind you of anybody this morning? It sounds a lot like Jesus, doesn't it? Just think about the Lord Jesus. He would look at the shepherdless crowds and the Bible says he looked at them with compassion. His heart went out to these people wandering around like sheep without a shepherd, getting to all sorts of trouble and his heart went out to show compassion to the crowds. Uh, The apostles describe uh, Jesus as one who went about Israel doing good, acts of kindness and love. He who humbly took a towel and took the place of a servant, washing the feet of his disciples. He said of himself once that we should take his yoke upon us because because he was humble and gentle of heart. That's what the Lord Jesus is like. In fact, if we can see that in Jesus, the reality is that this is what God is like. He is the image of the creator that that God's change project is turning us into. And so it's worth us considering these attitudes in light uh, of what our normal responses have been, or perhaps were, in our pre-Christian past. Compare those responses with how maybe we used to respond before we were a Christian. And the truth is, actually, those very same attitudes wrestle within us even though we are Christians. Look back at verse 8. Think about this past week. Have you faced circumstances in the past week where you attempted to respond in these ways? Or maybe you did respond in these ways. Anger. Rage. Malice, which is a determination to do harm to people. Slander, filthy language. Well, let's think about the past week. Did, were we tempted to go there, to respond in those ways? Maybe we did. Uh, Christians have received fullness in Jesus Christ, but actually the Bible's clear that there's still filthiness in us too. There's unwanted thoughts, there's, there's wrong attitudes, there's sinful words and actions that can come out of us. And uh, people may deliberately try to provoke those reactions from us. Or just maybe we meet people and just them being them pushes the buttons in us. 
Have you met people like that? There's just some people, you meet them, and they just make you angry. Just being them. Do you ever have, do you ever have moments like that? And, and you're tempted, were you tempted last week just to let rip? Anyone with young children has had this temptation this week. I guarantee it. But at those very moments, we need to remind ourselves of our new identity. I died with Christ. I've been raised with Christ. Christ is my new life. I am one of God's chosen, loved, holy people. And um, if you're aware that there are certain circumstances in your life where in a fairly regular way, your buttons get pushed and you let rip, and you know it's likely to come around again, I want you to be self-consciously thinking about this week. What, you know, when are those moments? When are those points in the day? And before you get to those moments, why don't you ask God's grace, God to help you, to give you the grace to be different to remind yourselves of these truths and to turn to God in prayer and say, look, you know how I've done this the last 10 times, Lord. Would you help me do it differently this time? As I go into this context, as I go into this situation, as I meet that person again, as I, as I face that challenging opportunity, would you help me to, to live out this, this new identity that you've given me? Would you give me grace to do that, Lord? So that... Instead of anger, we choose actively to clothe ourselves with, with patience. I, I, I like that idea because it's as if, actually, we're not feeling particularly patient. But we say, I'm going to put it on for size. I'm going to clothe myself with patience. Instead of rage, we choose to clothe ourselves with, with gentleness and compassion. Instead of malice, we, we, we clothe ourselves with kindness. Instead of slander and filthy language, we choose to clothe ourselves with humility. And, and I think um, if, if you see repeated patterns of, of that sinful behavior in your life, it really helps to call it out as sin. The temptation is that often we, uh, we blame everybody else around us for the way we respond, don't we? I can't help it. That person just makes me angry. It's their fault. No, actually, you're you're an angry person and that person just lets it spill out. And um, it's helpful to actually look at at the way we respond and call it for what it is. It's sin. And actually, if 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 I call that irritation and that frustration that I let out on everyone around me, for what it is, the sin of anger, then actually there's hope that I can turn to God and ask him to forgive me. I can repent. And then I can go to that very throne room of grace and ask him to give me the strength to, to clothe myself with, with patience and compassion. And um, as we seek to fight this good fight of change and and put on these new attitudes then actually there'll be a new conduct that comes look at verse 13 bear with each other and forgive whatever grievances you may have against one another 
Forgive as the Lord forgave you. I don't know whether you find this, but some people are very easy to get on with, while others we meet, not so much. Uh, we're all such a diverse group of people, different personalities, and the truth is, in, in different ways, we're all prickly pears, aren't we? We're all little porcupines. And uh, we, you know, the, the little porcupine things can stick up and we can stick into each other. Uh, and, and the question is, how on earth does a church stay together when it's full of prickly pears? How does that happen? It's when you've got a group of people who are committed to getting on board with God's change project. And, and they're seeking God's grace to, to put on these new attitudes. And as they do that, then they're going to choose a new conduct, which enables us to bear with each other. It's very realistic, that, isn't it? A Christian community is not one where actually you become a Christian and suddenly everybody is easy to get on with. Everything is perfect and everyone's smiling and happy and there's no problems whatsoever. Wake up. That's, that's not the world we live in, is it? Not this side of glory. And so it's very helpful. He very practically says, a conduct that flows out of this new life is that we bear with each other. What does bearing mean? Well, it means that we put up with difficult circumstances and we put up with difficult people. Uh, we can make it a matter for prayer when we're getting easily annoyed and frustrated by those people. And instead of being angry, we can ask God, Lord, help me to look at that person with compassion help me to understand why they are the way that they are and that my heart may go out to them not as a person who just frustrates me and annoys me but someone who I genuinely can love and have compassion for Lord give me the ability to look at that person and to show them patience to forbear them and even when people sin against us, and the truth is that that will happen, even when we have a legitimate grievance against us, perhaps someone has done something and said something, and it really was wrong. It was bang out of order. Maybe they said sorry, but it was still said. It was still done. And we have a cause for just complaint. Well, the Lord says to us, Forgive whatever grievances you may have against one another. We need to remind ourselves, well, how on earth can I do that? Well, forgive as the Lord forgave you. Isn't that a beautiful parable that Jesus told? You know, one guy owns, owes a billion pounds and is forgiven. Another guy sort of uh, owes a hundred quid and he won't forgive when we understand how much we've been forgiven, then we have, hopefully, the resources to say, I have been shown so much grace. I can extend this amount of grace to this person. Everyone thinks forgiveness is a great thing until you need to forgive, right? And we all think, generally, that's great. But when someone's done something against you, and it really hurts... I just you keep thinking about it. Remember the grace that God has shown us in the Lord Jesus Christ. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. 
Forgiveness is an act of grace. It is not easy. It is something that's undeserved. And I should have really bought my overcoat today because the last bit here is that the overcoat that goes over all these great attitudes and responses is love. Verse 14. And over all these virtues put on love which binds them all together in perfect unity. Can I encourage us in our growth groups to be more specifically helpful about these sort of matters in our lives? Can we be honest with each other about ways that we've blown it in the past week where we sort of showed more of the verse 8 anger, rage, malice type responses? Can we be honest about that? And share that in our groups and help each other think of practical ways that we can put those things off and put on these new attitudes that get wrapped up with the overcoat of love. I think we would really help each other if we got to that place. When we get into our prayer times, uh, it's as if we're all becoming doctors. All we hear about is medical issues. And, and I've got news for you. If the Lord doesn't come back, we're all going to die of something. We are going to get diseases. We are going to get sick. We're going to get cancer. We're gonna, there's going to be all these problems. And so can I urge us to actually spend more time praying that God would give us help to put on these new graces in our suffering, in our difficulties, in our trials, in the challenges of our life, that we would be able to clothe ourselves actually with these graces of Christ. And that we would uh, seek his help together into doing, to doing this. Because what we see in verses 15 to 17 is that the new you will only flourish when you're part of a new society of verses 15 to 17. The, the new society of Christ's body, the church. This is a society of people where peace rules, where Christ's word resides, and everything is done in the name of Jesus. Doesn't that sound like a great church? Would you like to be part of a church where peace rules, the word of God resides, and everything's done in the name of Jesus? Doesn't that sound a great church? Well, do you know what? There's nothing automatic about a church society like that. It's something that we must determine will be true of us at Charlotte Chapel. These are commands to let these things happen. Verse 15. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. Since as members of one body you are called to peace and be thankful. Uh, Groups of people can very easily become toxic groups. Uh, You can see it in political parties. Uh, Sadly, sometimes you can even see it in churches, where groups of people can become places of conflict, criticism, confusion. And when churches become like that, that's totally toxic. And it doesn't help anybody. How do you get a toxic church? Well, it starts with toxic individuals who love to be critical who seem to just get enjoyment out of being negative, who love to rock the boat, who love to pass on gossip. And when people like that, toxic individuals, are allowed to keep doing that in an unchecked way, well, you get a toxic church. And so we all need to heed this biblical command. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. This heartfelt peace. Now, what is this peace? Well, it's a peace and unity that God has brought about through the death of his son upon the cross. 
Remember this reconciliation. We're no longer enemies with God. We're now friends. Peace has broken out for those who are in Christ. There is no barrier anymore. And uh, Paul says, such a new society that gets the gospel of uh, reconciliation and peace will be one that lets peace be the umpire that calls the shots uh, in the church. This peace is now to rule in the company of believers. It is to hold sway. It is to call the tune. It is, it, it is this, this peace that should determine our relationships with one another. As we think about t- uh, courses of action, as we relate to one another, uh, the, the one way that leads to peace and the one way that leads to more hostility and grief, well, in love we should choose the way of peace. And each one of us plays an important part in making sure that peace has this influence on our church since we are members of one body who are called to peace. Do you see that each one of us is how we relate individually, but how we do that as a whole, that we're called to peace. And so um, when we're tempted to be toxic, or maybe we're chatting with someone and they're starting to be toxic, what can we do? Well, instead, we should encourage gratitude. Be thankful. The way to overturn toxic individuals and toxic churches is to remind ourselves to be thankful people. Um, That's how he finishes the sentence. And be thankful. When we're full of gratitude for his gracious call upon our lives to make us his his, uh, beloved holy people, when we're grateful to him for his incredible grace to to turn us as enemies into friends, then we'll find there's little place for bitterness and resentfulness and criticism. It's very hard to be grateful and toxic at the same time. It really is. And this new society is not only a place where um, Christ's peace rules, but it's also where Christ's words reside. Verse 16. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. How do you know when you're in a good, healthy church? Well, it's a place where the church um, is fully comfortable with the Bible. It, it, you'll see it. The, the Bible will walk down the aisle on a Sunday and sit there and put its feet up and say, Oh, I'm right at home in this place. Because it's so much of what you're doing. The words of Christ, the gospel of the Lord Jesus, is something you hear about regularly, naturally, and in a deep and penetrating way. It's a place where not only do the pastors preach it Sunday by Sunday, but all the members of the church delight to speak the words of Christ to each other. And actually, the, the main way that, uh, that uh, Paul says that you should delight to speak the words to each other is in song. I don't particularly like musicals. But actually, there's a reason that Christian communities have been full of song. That we edify each other, that we actually teach and admonish each other as we sing words that are full of, of, of Christ's words and biblical truth and gospel truth. As we sing to each other about Jesus and his gospel, that's actually how, in part, we are one of these communities that is rich with Christ's word. And then verse 17 is a great summary verse, isn't it? And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, 
Do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus. Here's a society, it doesn't matter what they do. It's whether the things they do or the things they say, it's all done in the name of the Lord Jesus. And they give thanks to God the Father through the Lord Jesus. I hope that you see that actually Sunday by Sunday in our gatherings, this is what you're observing. I hope you think that. I hope you see that. That we read the Bible. We sing the Bible. We preach the Bible. We pray the Bible. But I wonder, as I've been meditating on this passage this week, whether we're a bit Bible light when we talk to each other afterwards. What is that? I was chatting with some friends this week. Why is it we find it so hard to talk about the Lord Jesus together in our normal conversations? Why is it that we sometimes talk about everything else other than talking about what God has been teaching us in our Bible readings in the week? Why is that? Is it Edinburgh Reserve? Uh, I don't know. I still don't know the answer. So if you've got some answers, I'd be interested to hear what what, what you think it is, why the reason it is that way. But to obey this command fully, then we need to be a people who in our conversations, in our growth groups, are willing to talk about these things, how the Lord Jesus is changing us and challenging us and teaching us. Can I encourage you, um, you know, we're going to finish a song and we're going to kind of all relax a bit and stand up and talk. Can I encourage you to, in a few of your conversations this morning, to find an opportunity to say something about the Lord Jesus with somebody? Um, I'm realizing that some people are shy and some people are, you know, extrovert. I have, I have no problem walking up to complete strangers and asking them the most personal things. And uh, that's part of my problem. But um, uh, my wife is more reticent. But here's some questions. I, I've got two sorts of questions here. I've got questions for people that you don't know very well. And if you're less intense, put them up there. there. For those people you don't know well, what about these for some questions after we finish our formal time? What did you think of the sermon? Now that's quite safe, isn't it? Try to resist just being critical about the way the guy looked or you know, how badly he spoke. Try and focus in about something that they said from the Bible. What did you think of the sermon? That's an easy one, isn't it? It doesn't feel that intense, does it? Uh, or what did the sermon make you think about this morning? What did the sermon make you think about? A little, bit, a little bit bolder maybe, maybe if the conversation's going well. How might this morning make a difference to you? Because we should have that expectation, shouldn't we? As we come into the word of God, God is speaking to us. The words of Christ have come and, and he wants to change us. And so we should expect that maybe that Sunday by Sunday, that something more is happening than simply we turned up and we went away. Because he wants to make us into the image of God. What about this, if, um, that, that, that way of overturning toxicness? How has this made you thankful to God this week? What have you heard this morning that's made you thankful to God this week? Now, if you've got close friends, you might want to try something a little bit more direct. All right? I'll let you assess whether you think you're close or not. How have your Bible readings been going? Uh, what did you learn about Jesus this week? Or what, did you fresh, what were you freshly reminded about Jesus? Perhaps you're talking to someone who's, who's been following Christ for many years. 
What were you freshly reminded of about Jesus this week? What's the Lord been teaching you this week? What has Jesus been doing through you this week? Uh, And I I would love that we begin to change our culture a little bit as a church so that not only our formal gatherings are, are rich with the word of Christ, but that we would be a people who are quite comfortable to talk about these things, to talk about the Lord together. Why not give it a go this morning? You see, the new you that's being renewed into the image of God, the you that makes other people reflect about how you remind them of Jesus, will come as we're part of this new society. A society where Christ's peace rules, where his word dwells, and where we um, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus. That's the, the society where we will become the new you. Isn't that exciting? I want to be different. There's stuff and junk in my life that I don't want to be like. Not only am I wanting to shed pounds, I'm wanting to change my responses so that I'm more gentle and humble and compassionate. And maybe other people are wishing that for you too. And maybe you're wishing that for yourself. Let's seek God's grace. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we want to thank you so much that you loved us enough to send your one and only Son to die for rebel sinners who were just obnoxious to your holiness. And yet you showed us love and mercy and you showered us with forgiveness and grace. And thank you that you love us enough not to leave us in our sin and in our old way of living. Thank you that you have this project for us. Oh Lord, please keep changing us. Please use this church and our friendships so that bit by bit we would be uh, changed in our knowledge and in our likeness be restored into your image, our loving God and creator. We ask this in Christ's precious name. Amen.